What is up? Happy Monday. Welcome to Couch Potato Diary. My name is Peter Klein. Thank you very much for tuning in today. If you want to get hold of the show, you can do so on social media, Twitter and Instagram. I am at PrimetimeKlein, twitch.tv slash PrimetimePK. You can search us out on YouTube, Couch Potato Diary. Uh, just search Couch Potato Diary. We'll be up there. You can also find me, PrimetimeKlein. One, the music you're listening to provided by Wasted Talent. You can find them on Instagram at Wasted Talent with X's where the A's would be. Podcast has been a little all over the place lately. I apologize for that. Um, I'm sure it has affected your lives greatly, but going to try to be a little bit more um, rigid about things here over the next little bit as we certainly gear up for NFL season. But now that CFL season is in full swing, have some exciting things coming up CFL wise. Very, very excited about that. Um, but yeah, got a lot going on. We were camping this weekend which isn't a great excuse for there not being a show, but I hope you liked the Bobby Eaton tribute that I did. I would love to do a lot more of those. Uh, well, okay, let me say it this way. I hope I don't have to do a lot more of those, but when the instances pop up, I hope that I am able to, to do more of them. So it's a little bit different doing it this time than when I did it at my previous employer because we had the rights to shit back then. Now it was, hey, what free music can I use? So um, hopefully you enjoyed that and would love to hear any of your feedback on that. So the podcast going forward still want this to be a Monday, Wednesday, Friday venture. Um, and so it will be because I'm the only one who makes decisions on this damn thing. Fridays, I tried to keep those just as uh, combat sports related as possible, but just the way things have been going lately um, and getting interviews and stuff like that. I, I don't know if just having one day set for this one thing is possible. So I'm going to make Fridays two things. So starting uh, hopefully this week, Fridays are now going to be football and fighting Fridays because we love alliteration in the English language. Um, so that, I mean, certainly for the CFL season, we'll have already have a game in the books by then and we'll be able to preview the rest of the week in the Canadian Football League. So we will have that to go on in the NFL. We'll have a Thursday night game that's in the books and we'll have the, the entire weekend ahead of us to, to preview. So we will have that as well. And we will have a lot of college football on there to, to chat about uh, with the, the big games coming up. So we'll have a lot of fighting. We'll have a lot of football football talk. It's going to be excellent. So a lot has happened in sports. So I want to rapid fire my way through uh, a few of these things. We will start in the Canadian Football League as the Winnipeg Blue Bombers get things going with a win over Hamilton. And one of the big stories in that game is how dreadful Hamilton's offense looked in the second half. And you see some people call for maybe a change at quarterback with how well Evans played down the stretch with Masoli out a couple of years ago. I think that would be insane. I think if you are making almost any decisions off of week one, um, then you're just missing the entire point of everything that's gone over the, on over the last little while. You can't go with the quarterback and then in week one on the road when you haven't played a game in 600 days, which they told you about a lot on the broadcast, um, going up against what is still a pretty good Winnipeg defense and have it not go perfectly, you don't then just make a switch. Like this is, if you are going with Jeremiah Masoli, which by the way, I think was the right decision, but if you were going with Jeremiah Masoli, I don't think you then say, okay, well, didn't work, time to move on. If you are going with him, you are going with him for four to five weeks. And I get that can be a little bit sketchy when you have a shortened season like we are dealing with right now in the Canadian Football League where it is only 14 games. That can be, it can be almost a little bit stressful to say, well, yeah, just don't worry about it. Just 
grind your way through a few of these games. But we, we are pretty sure Hamilton is going to be fine in the East playoff picture. They're certainly going to be in the top two, I, I think, in this division. Although, and we'll get to it a little bit later on, but one of the teams in the East performing a little bit better than expected going into this one. Um, but I, I, I just... I don't think you look at this and say, well, now we definitely need to make a change because that's just ridiculous with everything, with no preseason games, with how weird everything has been over the last year and a half to want to make a change off of week one. I I think that's crazy. Uh, so that that is certainly, certainly not an overreaction I can get behind. And there are some that you, you can maybe get behind, but that is certainly not one that I'm going to listen to. You have to feel good about Winnipeg picking up a, a good win over a good Hamilton team without Andrew Harris in the lineup um, to, to be able to do that and to be able to run the ball so effectively. And you look at just kind of, um, you look at that comparing it to what Calgary could or couldn't do, I guess, in their game against Toronto, where the Stamps are up late and they're able to are unable to run the ball successfully to kind of seal that game away. Winnipeg was able to do that and was very effective on the ground all game. And that is championship winning football. We get very excited about quarterbacks who can throw deep and we get very excited about these big plays. But when it comes down to winning time, running the football is still the way that it's still the way that you get to winning time. And the Bombers did that even without their best stuff. And that defense still looks just scary good, man. Jeff Coat is, I still, even though he had kind of a breakout postseason run with Winnipeg, I think he is still criminally underrated. This guy might be the best pass rusher in the league. And to him with Jefferson, Adam Big Hill, all of it just ab absolutely um that Winnipeg defense looks scary, scary good. Some other ones I, I didn't get. Um, I haven't been able to, to go back and, and fully like take notes on all of these games. So these are just some kind of quick thoughts on some of these. Saskatchewan against BC. This one, obviously, a tale of two halves. Uh, from Saskatchewan, I don't know how concerned you get over just about blowing that game. You end up coming up with some big stops when you need it. But we saw one of the big takeaways from just the entire week in the CFL is some of these quarterbacks, their eyes need to get back into to game mode a little bit. Cause there was a few of those throws where it was just like, what on earth? It's not even what were you seeing? It's what weren't you seeing? Because how did you not see that guy there? Bo had one of those passes that you don't normally see from him. There was a couple of them in this Saskatchewan game that there was uh, almost I don't want to say almost all, but a lot of the interceptions that you saw came from Oh, just didn't see that guy there. Passes intercepted. That's going to come with reps. Like, again, these guys haven't played games in two years. So I, I don't anticipate those continuing all season, but I do think over the next little bit, I think turnovers are going to be pretty high in the Canadian Football League. And if you can find a way to monetarily benefit off of that information, then I would say go for it. But back to this BC-Saskatchewan game. On the rider side of things, which is where I'm going to focus on a lot this season... I don't know what major takeaway there is. You got up really big and then took your foot off the gas and you kind of saw that you can't really do that in this Canadian Football League. And that was a reminder that, again, that, that whole no lead is safe thing, that lead certainly was not safe. And you come up with a big defensive stop late after your defense comes up with a big play early in the first half. It felt like that game was just signed, sealed, and delivered. Like it was just gone. Don't worry about it. And it looked like Saskatchewan was kind of in that mode. So I, I think the killer instinct will be there. I think Saskatchewan's going to be a good team. I'm not sold on Cody. Like every, um, every 
passing yardage whatever thing this year had Cody Fajardo as one of the favorites to lead the CFL in like every category. I'm not there with him yet. Um, I, I think the weapons in Calgary maybe limit Bo's chances for that. And I get when you're setting some of these odds, you're banking on people like spending money on them. And you put the, the Saskatchewan guy at the top because Saskatchewan people are going to put money on him regardless because that's just how Saskatchewan works. So I, I kind of get why some of that happened, but I, I'm still not like Cody Fajardo is an elite CFL quarterback. He is a good CFL quarterback, but I, I don't know if he is. All right, hop on boys. Let's do this. Um, but we'll see what, what else we get from Cody Fajardo throughout this season. That first half was really, or first quarter was really, really impressive for BC. I wonder if bringing Michael Riley back into the game was worth it. Like I, I kind of feel like if you decide at the start of a game that he's not ready to go, then you just live with those consequences. You you just live with, okay, our backup quarterbacks aren't that good, and they're getting absolutely throttled in this wild environment against a pretty good defense. Okay, we're just we're taking it, we're taking it on the chin with this one and we are moving on. I think to risk further injury and the, the highlight was shown, Riley's pass kind of fluttering up there in the air. Um he he just he wasn't the same Michael Riley that you, we we have come to expect, and that will come with time as he is healing from this this injury. But to risk that for a week one game on the road, I get like every game is going to be important this season again because of the fourteen games. But we're talking about your franchise quarterback here, and he's not twenty five. Like you're not screwing up the next decade of your franchise if you have him get hurt. But you saw what the options were behind him. Ooh. I think I would rather just let them kind of wear that one. Let Michael Riley get another week to heal because you have a, a bit of a quicker turnaround, right? Like they, they play on Thursday against the Calgary Stampeders, if I am not mistaken. So to, to have him risk that in a bit of a short turnaround, I, I would, I, I, I understand the competitive nature and I understand like your quarterbacks aren't doing well. Yeah. They're the Thursday night game um, here at McMahon against Calgary. I, I understand the competitive nature of that or the competitive nature of that and just wanting to have things turn around and provide a spark for your team. And look, it almost worked. But even if they would have won, I would have been asking like, hey, is this is this win worth it? Really? Because it, it felt like you could have done a lot more damage to your starting quarterback. Calgary against Toronto. I said in the preview show with John Hodge, Toronto at plus 850 to win the Grey Cup is going has the potential to look very silly at the end of the season because of all the talent they brought in. And we haven't really seen one of these like super teams really do this like championship thing before. Like the, the closest we have seen is Saskatchewan in 2013 when at the end of the season they make a couple of trades and just go absolutely buck wild going for a great cup um in the the final years at Taylor Field. Um but we we haven't really seen this one out bought a championship team and tried to move forward with that and have that actually work. We, we've seen teams try to build through free agency before, but Toronto did it to an extreme we haven't really seen work. And so I understand some of the trepidation, but you see some of the skilled players that they bring in. Charleston Hughes takes a really stupid penalty, and that is something you're going to get, especially here late career Charleston Hughes. I think guys are supposed to mature with age, and it it sometimes feels like Charleston is doing the opposite of that. So that's unfortunate for Toronto. But Eric Rogers comes up with a big play when you need it. Breskison comes up with a big play when you need it. Shaq Richardson comes up with a big play. A lot of these guys who you paid big money to in free agency over the last little while have now come in and had impacts on your franchise 
in one week. I'm not saying it's going to go that way for the rest of the season. I would still favor Hamilton in this division, especially in the regular season. But in a one-game playoff like we have in the CFL, having all of that talent and all of that experience, it can't hurt. So I think Toronto actually, they, they are certainly going to be the most interesting team, I think, this season as they absolutely loaded up on players. From a Calgary side of things, the talk about Bo not trusting his receivers through week one is concerning to me because that's... I get like there were no live bullets and stuff like that, but that's what training camp's for, man. Like you gotta, you kind of gotta understand like some of these guys, you're just gonna need to put a ball out there and make a play. And it felt like even that last interception, like he's trying to just place the ball instead of being Bo Levi Mitchell, the, this quarterback who has amazing vision and never turns the ball over and all of those things. It, it feels like he went too far the conservative route in this. And at some point, like I, I get the CFL isn't the NFL, but like not everyone's going to be wide open on every pass. Not everyone is going to be able to break away from their defender and be wide open. You're going to have to trust your players to make plays in tight coverage. And there just there was none of that for Calgary. And there was a lot of very uncharacteristic moments for the Stampeders. They would be the team of of all the, the high-rated teams coming into the to the, the week in the CFL, they'd be the one I'm most concerned with. The, the Edmonton one is also concerning. But for Calgary, when you talk about not trusting guys through one week, and then again, you look at the, the Ricky Collins play that eventually Amos breaks up so that it ends up being a turnover and a positive play for your defense. But a guy weaving through the Stamps defense like that, it just, it hasn't happened over the last decade. And not being able to run the ball and seal away games is going to be an issue for this team. Basically, since Jerome Messam, this team has not been able to really find that sustained running game. And for a bit, they've been able to piece it together. But I thought it really reared its head in this last one. Uh, in this last game here against Toronto, that they were unable to really put that game away. And you look what Winnipeg was able to do, run the ball when everyone knows you're supposed to run the ball. That is the mark of a championship winning team. Calgary didn't have that. And I think you can kind of correlate where I'm going with that. Crazy finish, Edmonton against Ottawa. You get your CFL finish of the week. Guy gets tackled at the one-yard line. Edmonton only being able to put up 12 points against that Ottawa defense certainly would be concerning, but I look at that more as a, I, I guess, more of a rhythm thing than a trust thing. You, you can find rhythm. Developing that kind of trust that you need takes a little bit longer. I think Edmonton's going to be fine. I think Ottawa's still going to suck, but... You look at what Ottawa has been able to do since their inception as a franchise. And I, I think last night just kind of speaks to the culture that they've created. And I've talked a lot about the importance of creating winning cultures in your team and just have have losing not be okay. Because everyone everyone assumes Ottawa is going to lose 90% of their games this season. That That is just a thing that we have all come to expect from the Ottawa Red Blacks this year. They don't expect it in that locker room, and losing is not okay in that locker room, regardless of what expectations are. So if you are going to beat the Ottawa Red Blacks this season, you're going to have to beat the Ottawa Red... They are not just going to give you a victory. And look, sometimes they might. Um, because this is still not a very talented football team. They have a couple of players on both sides of the ball that you're like, okay, yeah. Those guys are fine. And if you wanted to flip them for something late in the season, I, I think they could be difference makers on championship teams or on playoff teams anyway. So 
what I'm saying with Ottawa is they have guys you like and they're going to play hard, but they're also not very good. And so to, to say they're not going to give you some weeks, ah, they might. I, I'm going to backpedal on that a little bit. They might just because they're not all that great. But you're going to have to work for it. They're, they're not going to be cheated on effort anyway. If you can match their effort, you certainly can match their talent and that's going to be very good for you. But I, I think Edmonton kind of got a bit of a wake-up call that, look, this is an Ottawa Red Blacks team that's going to be hanging around and it's going to be a problem this season. Moving on to the baseball world, as I told you, you like things have calmed down around this Blue Jays team now, and they are crushing baseballs. They're out on the road now, getting ready to take on the LA Angels coming up tomorrow. But holy hell, what a homestand! Um, just to add to the problems of the the Boston Red Sox, kick the crap out of the Kansas City Royals. A couple of losses in there you'd like to have back, but overall. Um, this looks like a team that is ready for a run. And now again, we talk about the boost of adding Barrios. We talk about the boost to that bullpen. You see that the hitting is there. And you see now that things are settled around them. This feels like an actual baseball team instead of just a traveling sideshow going from county to county. That This is an actual professional club now who has an actual home ballpark and actual home fans. And I think that I really think that is going to make a difference. I still think this is a a playoff team in the Toronto Blue Jays, and that this is just an example of it. And again, I, I said if they can just hang around to about this point, this schedule is not that tough for the Blue Jays the rest of the way. And you've just seen over the last little bit they can kick the tar out of teams that are beneath them. And now I do think Boston's beneath them, um, standings wise. They're obviously not, but I just I, I look at how well the Blue Jays have played all season long, with the exception of that bullpen. And they have done well to figure out that bullpen. But the, like run differential, they're almost plus 100 ahead of Boston. Like that, that is a stat that I think over time plays out to show that the better teams do well in that and eventually it is going to come around for you. Like they are the third best team run differential wise in the American League and in the top five in all of baseball. This is a very good Blue Jays team. They're now 10 games above 500. Poor Baltimore Orioles getting absolutely curb stomped in this American League East. But for Toronto, I still look at them as being a better team than the Yankees. I'm starting to look at them as a better team than Boston, and it's not just because of this one series. And then that's all you have to get ahead of, and look at that, you're in a playoff spot. The Oakland A's still being good. Um, concerns me, Starling Marte with a big hit in his first few games in an Oakland uniform. I've been saying forever that I think Toronto is better than Oakland. I still think that, but I, uh, Oakland's really good now. <laughs> so, but we'll see. Like, I, I think this is a Blue Jays team that is destined for a playoff berth. And what they, once you get into the playoffs, Alec Manoa is pitching out of his mind. And if you add a Nate Pearson to the playoff bullpen, I think that this this is going to be one of those teams that when they start the playoffs, well, who is a team you don't want to face? Uh, it's that one. I would not want to be facing the Blue Jays in a five or seven game series. The playoffs are going to be crazy. And I said um, a couple of weeks ago that maybe baseball season isn't going to be all that dramatic. And now we're looking at it. I, I don't think the American League East race is going to be that dramatic. I think Tampa Bay probably, speaking of teams that are just better than everyone, Tampa Bay is that and how, I have no idea. But the the race for the wild card, I think, is going to be an interesting one in the American League. All of a sudden, Oakland is doing some things in that American League West that is causing some stresses for the Houston Astros. So now that becomes an interesting race. The Central has been over from day one. It's the White Sox. Holy crap, it's the White Sox. 
The National League Central, Cincinnati's creeping up. I still don't think they have it to, to catch Milwaukee. San Francisco is seven and a half up on San Diego, who are in third. I I assumed San Diego was going to fall off, but now you get Chris Bryant, and now this team looks a little bit more for real. I don't know if that's going to be a race. You've noticed I skipped one because we have ourselves a race in the National League East. I was saying all season long that the Phillies and the Braves made a mistake letting the New York Mets hang out atop that division while the Mets were dealing with every injury issue under the sun because this team's going to get everyone healthy, and here they go. Instead, it now feels like it was the Mets who were letting everyone else hang around as the the Mets have hit an absolute tailspin. They've lost four in a row and eight of their last 10. The Phillies have done the exact opposite of one eight in a row um, to rocket into first place in the National League East. The Braves are ahead of the Mets now and no one, like we're looking at the, the Blue Jays and the Red Sox and the Yankees in the American League East as teams that can, okay, well, Maybe they don't win the division, but there's a pretty good chance two of those teams are, well, definitely one of those teams, but there's a pretty good chance two of those teams are making a wild card spot. It is not looking that way in the National League. The Mets are seven games out of a wild card spot right now. This would be, again, injuries have been a factor for the New York Mets for sure, but to go out and spend all of this money on Francisco Lindor, and I mean, Carrasco is is now finally just getting into the rotation. So, I mean, that certainly can help things. But to, to spend all this money and do all these things to proclaim that the Mets are back. Here come the amazing, amazing, amazing Mets. And then to have, obviously, the issues that they have had off of the field. To have all of that and then not make the playoffs, this would be a disaster of a season for the Mets. I think they will right the ship, but they are having issues at the exact wrong time. And I think the National League East is now going to be the most fascinating race to watch in all of baseball. The Olympics have come to a conclusion. What a games it was. And this is another one. We need to remember this. Next time there's an Olympics, which is next year, whether it's COVID or whether it's security issues or whether it's this or whether it's that, 99 times out of 100, the Olympic Games just go off without much of a hitch. Now, obviously, there are terrifying, terrible examples to the contrary of this. But we were worried about all the security and stuff in Rio. Nothing happened. We were worried about COVID. And look, I'm not going to say nothing happened because 400 people, there are 400 cases in Olympic Village, I believe. Which, when you look at the amount of athletes go to the Olympics, like that decent chunk of it. Um... But they went off, the country of Japan has not sunk away into the ocean, and it it seems like this was an overly positive experience for many, many people. And one of the first ones, you're getting a real, like, this is the the first Olympics, I believe, of the TikTok generation, and holy crap, the TikTok content coming from Olympic Village, that was fun. I'm sure there's going to be a way that the IOC tries to monetize this and thus makes it much less fun for next year in China. Um, And, I mean, social media in China, just in general, is a little bit different. But... I think overall, you look at this and with everything going on with the Olympics, um, and I, I admit I am turning very much a blind eye to the the real life COVID issues that some of these athletes are going to deal with. And I, I do feel bad about that. But I think you look at this from a, an overall Olympic standpoint, and I think this is a pretty positive one. And the big story here in Canada, there's obviously a few great stories coming out of this, as there are with every Olympics. But the women's soccer team, just, this is... 
I don't think people in Canada kind of realize how amazing this story is. When you look at where women's soccer was in this country, basically right around the time of Christine Sinclair, and to now build it to a point where you are Olympic champions is nothing short of remarkable. And it is not something that just develops over time, but it does show the need for big moments and the need for success and the need for these transcendent talents. And this is something that um, basketball in this country, I think, needs to, to learn from. We're, we're going to be talking about the Canadian basketball scene with Haley McGoldrick coming up this week. But you look at what has not been able to be accomplished on the men's side for the Olympics and for even world championships. Like, it has been a struggle just to get into these spots where you get this kind of attention. And it is where, when you get this kind of attention, is where that success starts to grow because you start to have kids getting more into it. You start to get more sponsors involved in it. That brings more money into the programs. And that can just, that like that solves a lot of problems. And on both the men's and women's sides right now, women are getting closer. The men should be there by now. But I think this does show that it takes time. But I think it also shows that it is worth it. And this is now a new generation and a new era for women's soccer in this country. And um, just texting with Sandra Pacina about it, it, it felt like there was a changing of the guard mid-match in that gold medal game as it would have been a perfect send-off for Christine Sinclair to score the game-winning goal that gives Canada Olympic gold in women's soccer and uh, a program that she has carried on her shoulders for many, many years. Instead, she played very well and was still obviously an incredibly important part of what Canada did, but she gets subbed out late in that game. And it's a 20-year-old who scores the game-winning goal in the, the penalty kicks. Canada soccer was always at some point going to have to survive without Christine Sinclair. And it is with zero insult and with all of the due respect to Christine Sinclair that I say, I don't know if we have to talk about Canadian soccer surviving without her. I, I think we are now at a point that this thing that she has helped build will now be able to thrive, even in her absence. And I, I think that it's a testament to the work that she put in and a lot of other people put in. But I, I don't know if you're ever going to have something at a national level so tied to one player for years and years and years to come, even post-playing career, than Christine Sinclair. And even after the game, like, this is probably it for her. And she's still advocating for the sport and still saying we need a women's league in this country, which, yeah, we do. And just calling for more support. It does feel like support for women's sports is getting there, but it also feels like it's very slowly getting there. And it... You just again, I know a lot of people, some people were put off by how aggressively people were pointing out the success of women's athletes um, at the games for the, the Canadians. But women's sports now is the, the fastest growing, I guess, sports entity. And I think some companies are realizing that. And I think it is now time for the mainstream to kind of catch up to that. And I, I would love to see that because, I mean, look, just more sports in general is fun, but the, the women's sports, it's like hockey, it's not exactly where it needs to be, but it's better. Soccer, we just talked about how it needs to be better as well. Basketball, I, I think there needs to be a little bit more in Canada. And I think if the WNBA were to expand into Toronto, that would help things out exponentially. But this was very much a showcase for women's sports and just how how far we have come in this country with women's sports, but how much further I think people need to catch up with that. Last one before we hit the, the brief music ID break thing. Um, UFC happened this weekend. Did you know about it? Because I'll 
be honest. And maybe part of it was I knew I'd be camping, so I didn't really pay a whole lot of attention to it anyway. But just like scrolling through things and paying attention to my Twitter, it didn't seem like there was a lot of buzz for this one. And I think the UFC kind of played themselves a little bit. And it's weird because this is a very, I felt like a very rare misstep for the Ultimate Fighting Championship. In this case, they screw up a lot. But in the sense of like how to maximize your dollars, they're generally pretty good about understanding that. There's a couple of miscues along the way, but to have Derek Lewis not fight Francis Ngannou for a title, but need to get him on that card specifically, so to sacrifice that fight just so you can pop a number in Houston? Like, I I didn't get that one at all, to be perfectly honest with you. And I, I think if you would have rolled in there with, I'm, I'm not going to say almost anything, but if you roll in there with average UFC pay-per-view card, you're selling that place out. Have you not, everywhere is selling everything out right now, especially in Texas, because people are just excited to get back at it. I don't think you needed the hometown guy on there. It was cool so that you could do some of the promotion throughout the week, but to to throw away the Lewis and Ganu fight, just so you can get Lewis on this Texas card so we can get the shit kicked out of him. I don't know. I, I don't think it's the star making performance for Gone that it needed to be. I don't think that his fight with Nganu, there was some dumbass headline from ESPN. So is the this UFC title fight, could it be bigger than Francis Nganu against John Jones? And no, no, it can't be. And it's like, is Dana White just producing for first take or whatever the fuck show that came on? Like that, that is the most asinine thing. That, that is the biggest fight in the sport to make right now is Nganu against John Jones. And the second biggest one would have been Nganu against Eric Luce, which I can't believe I'm saying that after how dreadful their first fight was, but that was the fight to make. And to now lose that fight, because you can't do it now, um, to, to lose that fight because you needed to pop a number in Houston, I... I didn't get that at all. I, I thought it was a, a great misstep by the Ultimate Fighting Championship. The music that you hear on Couch Potato Diary is provided by Wasted Talent. You can find them on Instagram at Wasted Talent with X's where the A's would be. Closing things out with a little bit of hockey talk as some contracts have been handed out. The biggest one, um, both literally and figuratively. Would it be literally? I guess, because like the, the pages of the contract are probably the same size, but I'm talking about in dollar amounts and then the figuratively being buzz and those types of things. But either way, Darnell Nurse signing a contract with the Edmonton Oilers. When um, that deal comes into effect, he is going to be the third highest paid defenseman in the National Hockey League. And holy shit. And this is another one. You see people talking about these. And I don't know why I go into the comments on some of these tweets um, when they announce what the deal is going to be. But holy crap. Oh, well, what? You're going to not pay him that money and lose him for nothing? I guess. Maybe, and I get Edmonton just got burned with Larson um, making his way to the ed to the the Seattle Kraken. But the the thing that I look at with every contract, when you look at, and we can have like th this could lead to a broader discussion of well, are athletes really worth nine million dollars? And I I tend to think so. But when you look at it in the the salary cap structure of the National Hockey League, how is this player going to return nine million dollars worth of value to this team? 
in a salary cap world where the cap is going to be basically around $80 million for the next while. So more than a tenth of this salary cap for the Edmonton Oilers is going to be taken up by Darnell Nurse's contract. Is he a good enough player to still return value to your franchise where that makes it worth it? The answer is nah. He is a good defenseman. I would say he's a very good defenseman. I am higher on him than a lot of people are. I wouldn't have come close to this number. And the the ones who always defend it by saying, well, what, are we going to lose him for nothing? Fucking maybe. I don't know. But to suggest that it was either that amount of money or him leave, where is he getting that on the open market? No one else is paying him that. And if they're willing to, then fine. But... I just, this is, again, this is how you get into trouble when you you start overpaying, even just incrementally, overpaying because, oh, well, he would leave otherwise. The Flames had to pay a a Calgary tax on on Blake Coleman um, because otherwise you're not going to get him. Okay, well, now you're not going to be able to get someone else down the line. Like you, you are asking guys to live up to expectations that they're just not good enough to. And that, that is, again, not a shot at either of these players that I'm talking about. They are good hockey players, but I just don't see in the skill set of Darnell Nurse him being able to return any kind of value on on this contract. So I, I think it was a mistake from Edmonton. I think it was a desperation move from Edmonton, and I think it was very good of Darnell Nurse's group to kind of take advantage of a team that needs the exact skill set that Darnell Nurse has also just got burned in a contract negotiation with Adam Larson. So I, I think they played Edmonton, and I, I'm, again, just on the other side of that, I think Edmonton got played. I Good for Darn- Darnell Nurse. He shouldn't turn down that money. And again, I think he's a really good hockey player, but he ain't that. Like, that's, he, he's not top five defenseman in the league salary, not even a little bit, I don't think. Interesting note. Now, with the two goalie contracts that were signed today, Carter Hart and Shesterkin, uh, Carter Hart, I guess, was signed over the weekend, and Shesterkin with the New York Rangers. If you would have told me at the beginning of last season that, okay, in the summer of 2021, Shesterkin is going to be making more per year than Carter Hart, I would have said, congratulations, New York Rangers, on winning the Stanley Cup after Shesterkin guided you with an unbelievable performance because that's the only way I could have seen that happening because there was just no way to predict Carter Hart falling off the way he did. A goals against average, 3.67 this year, allowed four-plus goals 13 times this season for the Philadelphia Flyers. And that was really a backbreaker. And now you see like they, they've made quite a few changes in Philadelphia. They need Carter Hart to be the guy he was a couple of seasons ago. If he is not that, this team is so fucked. They are so badly fucked. Because um, they like that. it's been a problem in that market forever. It was a punchline forever. And now you have this guy. And it was just, everything fell into place, it seemed like, for this Philadelphia team. You finally mixed goaltending with some, like, d- d- defense has been a problem in Philadelphia for a long time. But you've got a couple of guys now who have filled that need. And you've always had scoring punch in Philadelphia. For forever, you've had scoring punch in Philadelphia. And everything seemed to stack up. And then the goalie took a bit of a step back. And the whole house of cards just crumbled. And now they're trying to build it up again. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there are. But Carter Hart is one of the most important players to his team in the NHL. And 
I, I again, you see some Philadelphia fans saying, oh, why are we even giving him this much? It's not that much. It, if Carter Hart still sucks, 3.979 over the next three years is going to be far from wrecking you. If you are paying your backup goalie that, you're doing fine. Um, so th- this was, I thought, a smart contract from Philadelphia. The three years was a little bit interesting for Hart. I thought he would maybe want a touch shorter. Um, but now you have, now he has three years to prove that he is the guy that we all thought he was. And if he is, then at the end of that contract, he is going to get paid. And there is a very real chance he's getting underpaid on that contract six months from now. But at this point, this is such a step back for Carter Hart and this Philadelphia Flyers organization. They just, they need him. They need him very, very badly to get back on track. All right, that's going to do it for the program today. Busy week coming up. Got a couple of interviews that are scheduled. I mentioned one earlier. I don't like mentioning them before I've actually done them because uh, schedules can change. Um, and that is through no fault of anyone's. It's just how life works. So hopefully I have a couple of big things coming up for you guys this week. Again, follow the show. I am at PrimetimeKlein on Twitter and Instagram, twitch.tv slash PrimetimePK. You can find the show. We put up our interviews on YouTube. Just search Couch Potato Diary. I am up there as PrimetimeKlein1. The music you're listening to, Wasted Talent. Find them on Instagram, at Wasted Talent, with X is where the A's would be. Find their producer on Instagram, at Tommy Fresh music if you haven't heard enough from me i am on the call it's the dogs against the dogs coming up tomorrow on the okotoks dogs academy youtube page hopefully have a few other career related announcements coming at you soon and my general history podcast we're taking this week off but last week we did a big show on non-sporting olympic news it makes sense when you listen to it we call it the olympic adjacent episode but obviously history has been made at the olympics not just in the competitive fields So check that out and I will talk to you guys on Wednesday right here on Coach Potato Diary. I'm out.